32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. <laughs> Every week we take, we take a county, dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where the world brings us. We will be still doing that and also changing tack and regrouping, resetting, um, all of those things in 2021. Uh, this week, though, what um, what's the episode going to be all about, Andrea? This week, in, uh, the episode, as we are entering lockdown numero three, uh, we're trying to channel all the endurance required to make it through another lockdown. So we're kind of taking a, a sidestep and talking to an endurance running coach, Rene Borg, to see what endurance lessons we can borrow from him. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you to all of our patron supporters um, over Christmas who stuck with us and enjoyed all the bonus content. Now is a great time to sign up to Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland um, and support us. And obviously it's a new month and a new year. So check if your card is still in date. Uh, otherwise it just bounces back and then we lose your little support and you mightn't even know. And we, and we know and we cry. Um, but also as part of that, obviously you get to Sunday Soothe every Sunday, which is back this Sunday, um, which is really helping us to cope, would you believe, and hopefully helping you in these unprecedented times. No, don't oh. say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, COVID-19 is still with us um, and it is dangerous as hell. And it's a sketchy situation. And so we want to just bring some coping mechanisms this week instead of just freaking out. So before that, before, here's the state. Before we cope, here's how bits it is. Before we cope, here's the freak out. It's the state of the nation. Andrea, Kunasatha uh, and Stotch. The ta on starch egg fear. Now that's not fire. On fire? What's fire? Okay, we'll have, a, we'll have an Irish lesson another time. I just put in four fire emojis to really represent where we're at, really, um, as a nation right now. Um, mm. We are past our meaningful Christmas, which has resulted in vertical lines up of case numbers of hospital admissions of ICU admissions um, and it's really difficult to get past why we're here when we were in such a good place at the start of December um, we also have as well as people being admitted there's the issue with staff are getting sick in hospitals so I think they're down 40 percent um because they have to isolate um and we are back to needing private hospitals to come on board uh testing has completely collapsed um close contacts aren't being uh, contact, contacted anymore people are just set told to isolate um and just stay at home apart from our 5k uh, exercise so yeah, that's kind of the dumpster fire we're in right now. As well as that, um, there's going to be, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning, so there's going to be uh, new kind of details of restrictions today, uh, one of which will be a negative PCR test will be required to travel uh, into Ireland. 
which should have probably been brought in a while ago. Um, the SOC Dems are joining. The problem with the PCR test, whilst it is welcome, is that you could have contacts afterwards or you could have no symptoms and all that jazz. So we do need to look at a mandatory quarantine required. Um, it's The PCR is kind is nice, but not enough. Yeah, or and as well as that, then you, you still need to get your test, uh, I think it's three to five days later. Mm. Um, because, of course, you can be incubating the virus and then test positive a few days later or whatever. So that's the situation with travel. Um, they're going to be removing the kind of blanket travel ban from Britain and bringing in this mandatory uh, test uh, requirement. Um, and the conversation around zero COVID has emerged again. SOC Dems have joined PVP um, and, and uh, Rise look, are calling for that strategy. I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a bit late. Um, I think that it's, it's really interesting to see. I, I def, what I think is going to be interesting is that I think you're going to see, you know, a similar cohort of people who were kind of claiming the space that, uh, you know, saving the economy over public health or that lockdowns were just like way too damaging a thing are probably now going to be like, what about zero COVID? Because I think a lot of people realize um, that obviously you can't, the economy isn't a magic force field um, that you can restart or quote unquote open back up and through magical thinking uh, and pure centrist desire um, that that will somehow sneak around the virus or something. I just don't know what people were thinking. Um, We've already seen some trackbacks on that in articles that have come through this week, um, mm. especially in media, but like it's coming through also in talking heads as well. Yeah. And the thing is like the, the zero COVID strategy was the actual radical strategy to adopt from the get-go and um, prioritising the economy uh has was, actually left the economy worse off because we could absolutely, have been in a better, yeah. much better economic status now. It's totally in super short term thinking. Um, really, you know, as you're as you're saying, like all the all this discourse around, like, well, we need to open things up to save jobs. You know, particularly around hospitality. Let's say in, in December and restaurants and bars. Oh, you know, the the sector is in bits. We need to open back up. And like, yes, it was in bits, but now everybody is unemployed again. Um, and a lot, a lot of places didn't want to open back up. So. Like personally, I just think that things have been, you know, there there was also commentary, you know, all along saying we should be doing more to suppress the virus. This, like we know exactly what happens uh, when society opens back up after lockdown. Obviously, cases increase. So I think that at this stage, I don't know if there are merits in pursuing or read like the kind of zero COVID strategy because we you kind of have to pursue that at the start. Well, I think though the life the life of a virus is two and a half years and a vaccine isn't the answer. So going for yeah. a zero COVID strategy now is definitely going to do well because we have a long journey ahead of us. Even if we do start back opening again with vaccinations, we're not going to be like back where we were. So the most we can suppress it because there's going to have to be other strategies being run in conjunction with vaccinations. It can't just be... Um, okay, we're vaccinated now, let's go. Um, so yeah. if we go for a zero COVID now, I think that will help us get further along with our journey because it, it, it has a, another year and a half to go. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't think politically um, there's the imagination 
uh, or kind of radical thinking at a political level to engage with that. I think it's again just short termism and well, I wonder if patching over Sinn Fein join up with sock dams and people before profit and rise and they all come together in calling for this, then you've got a full opposition uh calling for it. So it'll be interesting to see if there is strength behind this that can actually bring about the political desire. And you would wonder after what's happened after the last month, hopefully like I can't see how there wouldn't be introspection of of decisions that were made and and how that if this is called for loud enough it will have to be considered. Mm, I think you're more optimistic than than I am because I think right now it's firefighting but um another kind of issue um and really really awful uh incident the the killing of um George Chanko. Um, more details are emerging about that police shooting um, with regards to his family being in the house and how his family had been in touch with um, a GP and HSE for psychiatric supports. Um, and also the racism, abhorrent racism um, that the family is facing from fucking idiots on social media who are, who are just terrible uh, and stupid um, intentionally trying to cause hurt so I don't know what you say about that, apart from the fact that these narratives that Ireland isn't a racist place, when you see the base level, ugliest, um, most grinding, most ignorant and spiteful racism uh, is always the kind of first draft that emerges when anything happens to a person of colour in this country or, or, you know, be it a television ad or somebody losing their life. You know, we can't just keep ignoring that and we can't just keep glossing over it and think that that not being there is not a serious issue and is not a massive red flag. So um, we need to, while not tying ourselves up and responding to racists and hateful people, to really see and know that that is there. Uh, Because I think people in Ireland, a lot of the time, white people... Um, because they don't experience racism themselves, like to gloss over that or don't think that that's people's experience. Um, And it's profoundly depressing, but also the support and the community solidarity um, that has occurred around this really awful uh, death is also a positive thing. So I don't know. I just send my, like all of his friends and family, I just feel so bad. Like it's so upsetting. It's worth tuning into Merge, um, who are um, being very thought forward on it, I suppose, and um, and helping you, I suppose, to see from if you haven't experienced it, how it's yeah. being a lived experience. Um, also, this week Brexit happened. Um, it's done. Marks and Spencer shelves are empty. Are they actually? Yeah. You can, in Dublin? Yeah. In Ireland? Yeah. Um, you no, know, it's so mad. I like, was I saying on the, po- on the podcast about the Marcus Spencer thing? Shit. <laughs> Damn it. Now it's not on the record. I was saying to someone before Christmas, I was like, what are Marcus Spencer's going to do? Because so much of their stuff just comes through, um, comes through England. Yeah. You can't import anything with meat in it, any of the ready meals. So all the ready meals are empty, the shelves. Mm, no, my... My chicken pasta uh, comfort food from Marks and Spencer's that I sometimes get and eat secretly. 
um, is not going to be there. I'm, that's, I'm a bit worried. That's a reveal nobody needed to hear. Here's another reveal. I've no cooker, so I'm uh, everything has to be cold. So I hope that their cold ready meals still continue. Mm. But I'm a vegetarian, so it's okay. There is a surprising entry here on the State of the Nation that I didn't, that passed me by. What is that, Andrea? Kim and Kanye are getting divorced. Well, word on the street. It hasn't been officially announced. We'll stand by for the very heavily edited, um, managed, momager Chris Jenner release. But yeah, it's been it's been all over the gossip sites. And even Richard Chambers was tweeting up a storm about it last night. Um, yeah, word is out that the end is nigh for Kim Ye. There you go. Um, okay, now for some now for some good news. Now, cast your minds back to the uh, infinite staircase purgatorial loop we were living in the week of the uh, US presidential election back in November. And uh, of course, one of the things that happened there was that there was going to be runoff elections uh, in Georgia. And as massively au fait as we all now are with the exurbs of Atlanta and the really, really key uh, counties around Savannah, and uh, wherever else. Um, There's a Dublin in Georgia, I believe. Um, Well, turns out that the Democrats are doing really well. One of the Dems has already um, won won his seat, uh, the Baptist preacher guy. um, Reverend Raphael Warnock. Warnock, and he's beat that absolute maniac um, Jesus, why can I not remember any of their names? What's her name again? I think this is just my general process of completely disconnecting from American politics after Trump lost because I was like, great, I don't have to think about it. <laughs> Loeffler, that's her name. Um, yeah, it's a basketball team. And uh, yeah, she's absolute yeah, nut bar, that one. Yeah. Um, and the vote as of now is quite close between uh, Purdue and John Ossoff. John Ossoff is the dam. And I, I thought Ossoff got it. I, was... I think he's like basically there. He's a few thousand votes ahead. Um, but the margin, so I think the margin between Warnock and Loeffler is like, uh, I think 50.6% to 49.4 with 98% of the votes counted at the time of recording. And it's like 50.19 to 49.81 between Ossoff and Purdue. Uh, so there you go. Woo! Democrats are taking the Senate. Um, we have. Uh, in other news, which is joyous, uh, Scotland have banned Trump from entering on his last day of term, uh, where he was hoping to go to his golf course to avoid arrest. Um, so tough luck, Trump. There's also Iran have put out an arrest warrant for his arrest as well, um, which is bizarre. Not bizarre, but like what? And... I like we can't talk about American politics in Georgia and everything that's happened without the biggest shout out to the Queen that is Stacey Abrams, who's spent a decade building up democratic infrastructure in Georgia that's resulted in this um, and getting people registered. And she's just like a magical woman. Yeah, she's unreal. And all of the like work that um, black women Democrats have been doing in Georgia has a sent. Well, I mean, essentially fucking won Biden the election and is now uh, almost kind of 
potentially winning winning the Senate as well. So like incredible, incredible stuff. So hopefully the Democrats don't keep leaning back on um, old white dudes. Uh, but, you know, the president is Joe Biden. So let's see how that plays out. Finally, Andrea, happy Nunlignaman. Yay! It stands in awe of all and awe. Now, on the pod today, uh, we know a lot of people are kind of a bit, I mean, in many ways, don't really know how to feel about the, the, this lockdown. I know um, how to feel. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, can't stop feeling. <laughs> most of us knew it was coming. Um, every second person uh, on the street on, on December is just like, sure, we'll be back in lockdown by January. Obviously, we didn't um, realise how bad it was going to be. But I think the one for the road attitudes of both the government and then people taking that messaging and socialising and so on uh, throughout December and over Christmas um, really has has meant cases have just exploded and we're in a dark place. But in order to get through that, we're talking to somebody about how do you endure long journeys, goals, things that are grinding um, and endurance running and ultramarathons are one of those things that I think can offer us a lot of lessons. Rene Borg is one of Ireland's most innovative and experienced running coaches who has successfully coached hundreds of athletes, many to competitive glory. He's an endurance coach for marathons and long distance runners. And as we now face into our third lockdown, we wanted to see what endurance skills we could borrow from Rene to help get us through the next period of our COVID journey in Ireland. Hi, Rene. Hi. Is it, is, sorry, is this Andrea or Una? This is Andrea. Oh, Andrea. Sorry. Good, 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 to, good to be on with you. Um, would, could we start by, uh, would you explain what it is you do day to day? Yes, well, I can certainly try. So, um, as you say, I'm a, I'm a running coach, but I do a few other things related to running as well, you know, such as holidays and events, uh, which obviously we, we didn't get much done of in 2020. But uh, a usual day for me essentially is to develop training plans for athletes of, you know, very different levels, you know, really from beginner runners to, to up at the elite end of the scale. Um, and to, you could say, communicate with them on a daily and weekly basis on you know the ins and outs of the plans you know any questions that might come up and you know to be honest with you a lot of that goes well beyond the running um you know it's looking at how to balance the exercise needs of the athlete you know the the goals and aspirations that they have with the running uh, with their life situation you know so in a way you kind of become a mixture of a coach and, and a friend i would say um, and and that's that's the basics of the company and we have you know ru- roughly um, myself and my assistant coach Owen Flynn we coach about um, two to three dozen runners at any given time what special tactics do you use to kind of train people's mindset for endurance or long distance running well there's an old saying that i'm very big into about running which is that it starts with enjoyment um and i think if if you're not a runner and you you hear that you might think well i've never really enjoyed running that much uh so how can that be the starting point uh but the thing is that you know every activity that you begin with is hard at first but humans are task-oriented creatures, which means that we need ideally to have some kind of meaning and purpose with the activities that we do, 
Um, so when you begin uh, with running, the first thing is to figure out why you're doing it. You know, what is the is the goal? Something simple, straightforward, you know, like wanting to get under a certain time um, for a certain distance. Or is it something deeper? You know, is it running on the trails because you enjoy it? You enjoy the connection to nature. You enjoy the feeling, you know, of, of strength and confidence in your own body. If we can figure out quite early on in the process, you know, what what is it that drives you that that you can do running for a purpose that is true to your own nature, then that will drive you forward because there is, as you can say, there's a meaning uh, that is relevant to yourself, to the activity you're doing. You're not just banging out in a way the miles or the hours on the road uh, because you feel you have to, you know, because it's a duty, because maybe you feel you're getting a bit overweight or you're getting a bit past your physical best, things like that. So that, that would be the starting point. What would you say is the biggest mistake um, people make when they're training for the long haul or trying to overcome an obstacle that requires endurance? Doing too much too soon is certainly the most common obstacle I see um, because when you dive into a new activity, quite often, you know, it's with a, it's with a lot of excitement and, and not a lot of experience. So you tend to want things very quickly. Uh, so the common training mistake we see is that people train too hard all the time. Uh, I should say this doesn't apply to, to everybody. Um, there's a different type of runner that, that has a different challenge. But just to, to describe the clients I see the most, they tend to go out and they want to work up a sweat and they want to feel like this run was really challenging and finish it nearly, you know, panting for breath. Whereas to become really endurant is a long process. It's a process of adaptation that happens over months and years and it cannot be rushed. You know, the old saying that mother nature can't be rushed. It's very, very true when it comes to running fitness and this ability to endure uh, for hours, for instance, as in marathon and ultras, or even to endure high intensity for shorter times, you know, if you're doing a 5k park run or something like that. So for me, that is, is the key is to teach people that we need to create an approach that is sustainable from the beginning. So we need to find a routine that when you begin is comfortable. It's a little bit challenging, but you are training. You're not constantly straining and feeling like you're catching up, that your body is always totally beat every morning because of this exercise you put yourself through. So it's all about establishing that sustainable routine and then very gradually progressing you so that over years, you get a consistent routine. And it's through that consistency rather than, you know, a few weeks of really heroic crash course type of training. That is what builds a body that is able to just go and go and go, you know, and be in, in what I like to describe as a tireless state. What is a tireless state? Well, it, it is actually exactly what it says on the tin. It is this feeling you go out for a run and you could just keep going and going and that you finish even, let's say, what most people consider a long run today, which would be two hours plus, um, that you finish that thinking, you know, if I had to, I could, I could keep going. Um, and most people feel that it's, it's a form of aerobic fitness, if we put a scientific term on it. It is a type of energy deliverable within the body um, that we are genetically adapted to that is healthy for the human system that gives you energy for the rest of your life as well, rather than taking it away. You know, so you, there are certain types of exercise that if overdone, they actually detract from the energy that you bring into other aspects of your life, such as looking after the children or your work, you know, and I've certainly experienced this myself in my young days, you know, nearly falling asleep at the desk because the, the workouts were so intense. But if you do this type of endurance and stamina training, 
you and the tireless state means that not only do you not feel like you have to go lie down on the grass after your run is finished but quite often after a quick meal and a shower you feel reinvigorated for the rest of the day you know and you actually so this is the old adage that you know you have to spend energy sometimes to get energy in return Mm. I like this um, distinction you're making between like um, training, not straining. And I think that a lot of people will identify with that, even leaving running aside, although running may feature in people's plans for the new year where you kind of enter the new year and you're all full of enthusiasm and you're like, I'm going to do intermittent fasting, drink no alcohol, start the couch to 5k again, do all these things. And you're loading yourself up with good intentions. But like, like that, I suppose, is seen as a positive um, that you want to start out doing all these things. Um, but of course, when we put too much pressure on ourselves, those things can can fade away. So how do how do we train and not strain ourselves? Like, how do we make sure that we're not falling into the trap uh, of doing so much or having such intentions that we'll just screw it up in the end? I think it, there's a core principle that one of my clients actually expressed to me a few weeks ago. He's a medical doctor who does research on health. And he said to me, he said, Rene, the, the difference, he says, all suffering and disease in his mind is in some ways um, the difference between your expectations and reality. And if we start with that, it means that if you, you have a certain expectation of what you like, what you desire, what you need, both from your life, from the food that you eat, from the exercise you do, from the little things that you enjoy, such it could be, you know, sitting on, on the couch and just having 10 minutes to read a book. That means the more you change um, the reality around you with new routines, such as you say intermittent fasting, or maybe you say from now on, no more couch time, I'm going to be doing, you know, 10 push-ups every evening and this other routine, you can start to create um, a, di a too big a difference between your expectations of what you really truly want, what you desire and the reality. So in a way, you're making life too tough for yourself. You're making life into a suffer fest. So what I like to try is to do things one step at a time. So first of all, figure out why is this person, why do you want to change your life? You know, what, what is the reason to take up your running routine, for instance? Or why do you want to implement an intermittent fasting routine? So first of all, we can anchor it in something that the person is truly passionate about. Because quite often, if you set out on a really difficult journey, but you are not actually passionate about the goal, you're just doing it because you think you should be doing it for some reason. That's bound to collapse because nearly everything you do, you're not, you don't truly want to do it. So in a way, you're like you're cursing yourself in. So there will be some kind of reaction, both psychologically and physically. So I think the first thing is to, you know, find a true genuine motivation for the change you want to make in your life. And then I like to start with the easiest one. So if we're starting a running routine, let's first get a routine in place that you find is exciting and interesting. Let's see how your energy levels do with that. And then if you say, well, look, I would like to clean up my diet as well. Uh, I would say, okay, what do you think is wrong with it? You know, and let's have a look at it. But we don't throw, you know, four, five, six routines in in January because we think we need to do everything. So by February, we, we are totally changed. Our lives are transformed because most likely January will be from a psychological perspective for you as an individual. It will feel like a suffer fest. And when you have this sort of response, you actually get the opposite back because your perception of everything that happens to you 
you know, people think, oh, it has a psychological effect, sure, but it also changes the physiological response of the body. So if you hate doing something, even a run, you it's proven that you don't get the same physiological response. You don't get a positive adaptation. You actually start to get a negative adaptation. So in a way, you see, it's, it's very important to bring joy uh, and genuine motivation with you into the processes you have, you know, and, and not try and put yourself through a grinder where you don't truly want to be. What's the worst advice you hear about kind of endurance training or, or long distance running? I think the worst advice I hear about it is that it's a very dangerous sport um, that most people with, you know, any kind of, what would you say, issues such as, you know, being a bit overweight or maybe being being older. Sorry, I got a bit of echo there. But yeah, I think there's a lot of negative press about running. A bit less, I think, in the last few decades because it's gotten more fashionable. But there is this perception that it's a sport that's very hard on the joints um, and that maybe we should cross-train as much as possible. And I think it's really, it's, it's a misconception created by the fact that we often take this extreme approach of going from zero to 100. Um, and then, of course, when this happens, the body is not prepared for the challenge and it kicks back negatively, often, you know, with an injury um, or something of that ilk. So for, for me, really, it is to, to turn that on its head and say running is a natural activity. You know, we all did it as kids. We all grew up with it. Um, but if you can no longer do it pain-free, it's not because it's a bad activity. It's because during your life, you've become deconditioned to it. So the trick is to then undo, in a way, some of the effects of, of life, especially modern life, you know, which involves a lot of sitting. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, we all understand, I think, that if you sit all day, then doing any kind of physical activity is quite the transition for your body. So what can we do to kind of tide you over from a sedentary, maybe working life to, to this activity? So for me, that's, that is probably the worst one. But if you give me enough time, I could probably think of others. <laughs> Does documenting process help like journaling or log books? Like what kind of things can people do on paper in their downtime to focus the mind and help uh, help with their endurance or training journey be that running or be that surviving a difficult period or some kind of I suppose long haul test of endurance I think there's a few uses of logs like first like the, the old fashioned type of log as you say on paper um, is very desirable in the way that you're only writing for yourself then you know if you write something down about how your training is going how you feel on a given day you're only doing it for yourself you're not doing it for an audience um, because it's become very popular today to to share your training exploits um, on blogs and in the comments of various, you know, online applications where people upload their runs. And that's all nice. You know, a lot of people get a big kick out of having their exploits commented on and kudos and all these things, which is great. But the main real value of a training log, especially a personal one, is that no person stays in the same place. And, you know, when I go back and read my old logs from 10 years ago, sometimes I realize by reading that, that, I was doing something totally different from how I remember it. So in a way, this applies to all of life, I believe. We don't, the life we remember is not the life we actually lived. And logs and training diaries can help yourself in a way become aware of the person you were, the mistakes you actually made uh, in a way, as you perceive them at the time, rather as how you remember them now. And um, less philosophically, you know, for me as a, as a coach, 
it's invaluable for me to have some kind of online record of the people I work with because I don't stand next to them on the track side of the road looking at them. So the more information we can have uh, you know, through online tools such as emails and, and the platforms we use to deliver the training plans – the better understanding I can get of how people are actually feeling about the running, you know, because we have so many numbers today and you can record everything with a watch and everything imaginable. But I, I am just, I feel it's just as valuable to see on a consistent basis how people feel about how they're doing. Um, and the questions they are asking, you know, tells me about where they need to develop in terms of their understanding of the activity. Um, and really, you know, endurance is about, learning to eke out the resources that you were given, the resources you possess. So it, it requires a very great self-understanding. You know, so anything that increases your ability to review, you know, past performances, you know, your strengths and weaknesses, what the sensations you feel during runs, what do they mean and how do you have to react to them? You know, all of that helps you make better decisions when you have to face a big endurance challenge. You know, when when is your weak spots? When is your strength um how do you respond to crises? So I don't know if that answers it for you. Mm. Um, yeah, it's um, it, it's certainly something I do. You know, without a record, personal and otherwise, there's no way the work I do could be done. You know, because we would just be fumbling around blindly, trying to guess whether the training is actually having the desired effect. Mm. A lot of people have been um, looking to various people and resources like therapeutic supports or um, coaches, um, like kind of thinking coaches, I suppose, in an endurance and stuff such as yourself uh, to develop tools and tactics um, that makes us not lose our minds, basically, in, in, in this past year. How have you found the more stricter lockdowns? Well, it's it has been difficult, I think, like for for everyone because the myself and and my wife obviously are at a stage of our life where our main social interaction actually is when we go meet others uh, for running. You know, we are no longer kind of on the club and pub scene at the moment because of the age of our kids. So the having even that taken away means that you know we live in the countryside as well that you you become very isolated and you also lose if for my i have my work of course which is great it's very helpful so any i think anyone who has still the ability to work it gives you some kind of you know routine and obviously having kids as well keeps you very very occupied so there's some benefits in having tasks that just have to be done anyway i think that that is certainly a good foundation for sanity. But as I said, we are task-oriented creatures, so we need hope and we need purpose. And when we have this kind of blanket of uncertainty thrown in front of us, you know, we don't know where life is going. We cannot plan um, anything with our hobbies or our holidays. You know, we, there's no races uh, for the runners, you know, to, to go with. So a lot of people expressed this frustration to me. You know, they said, I have nothing to train for now, so what do I do? And as a businessman as well, of course, you know, I was fearing and worried because I thought, am I going to lose all my clients now? Because they have nothing to train for. So why would they keep me on? Um, but surprisingly, actually, we have had growth in this area of the business over the last six months. And I think it is because, as you say, people need to find a replacement. Um, and with the help of someone else, you can construct at least some personal goals to keep you sane. So the fact that you can go every day and at least strengthen your own body or mind, you know, with whatever exercise routine you, you does it for you. 
at least it allows you to feel some progress in life. Um, and also, I think it, it gives confidence um, because I know there's a lot of people out there who are very worried about themselves, you know, what, what could happen to their health. But the feeling I have speaking to a lot of runners is that they are slightly more confident in their prospects of, of life in general because they at least feel um, confident in their own bodies, you know, from the physical strength that they get. Um, so in that way, I think physical exercise um, is always kind of a good add-on uh, because it gives you that ability to have a bit of power, you know, over the outcome of anything that can happen to you in life. Whereas if you feel maybe vulnerable, you know, you have metabolic illness or what would you say, cardiovascular problems, I can see why this situation would be a lot more stressful for you. Um, what well, what do you think that we can pull from the tactics that you're outlining and the mindset um, of your work? Because obviously as well, like running is primarily, uh, even though it can be done with other people, it's very much a, a solo internal journey as well that you are essentially competing against yourself a lot of the time. What do you think like... I'm I'm hearing lots of correlations between surviving a, a month in lockdown and the type of things you're you're outlining. But what tactics can we pull from um, your own experience to help us make through this lockdown? I think this one in, in particular uh, is is quite diff is going to be quite difficult for for people. Yeah, I agree. I think it will be, um, and it's a question that came to me when I was thinking about why are people so fascinated with ultra running today? Um, because it's, you know, it's so long and it's quite often, it's very, very slow. It's, it's for a long time during this period, you're in severe discomfort. Um, and it dawned upon me, I managed to do a race last year called the Carryway Ultralight. Um, and I had a very bad patch. Some things went wrong and it actually looked like because of a bit of, I think I had some kind of anxiety, um, type of physiological response early on, which meant that it looked like after months and months and months of preparation, I might have to drop out <laughs> within 40 minutes. And I sat down to just try and resettle my mind and problem solve what was happening to see, could I get it back under control? And one of the things that came to me was, we do these challenges because we want to test how we do in difficult situations, you know, we want to learn something about ourselves, you know, whether will we bend or break, will we just panic and despair, pick up the phone and say, pick me up, the race is over. Or will we take a few deep breaths, try and different solutions um, and come out the other side, you know, and when I managed to problem solve it and, and make my way to the finish line, I took personally a tremendous sense of satisfaction in that because I, I thought, well, if I can do it, I know it's just a race. It's not a war. It's not life or death. But it must mean that in other aspects of life, if the chips are really down and things are not good, that you will take a deep breath and you'll come out the other side. I think this is why people are attracted to endurance challenges. It's because it's a way to try and face um, our own weaknesses, push through them. And that confidence, this is certainly what I'm told by a lot of runners that I speak to, actually comes into all other aspects of life, you know, into your parenting, into your work life. You carry this confidence that you're not the type of person who will bend in the storm in a way. So will this help people staring into, you know, this lockdown? Um, 
I could not tell you that with confidence. But what I would certainly say is it could not hurt to, to say, well, look, there's nothing I can do about this situation. There's nothing I can do maybe about the lockdowns, you know, beyond uh, voicing your opinion or whatever else you feel you need to do as a citizen. Um, but you could take personal steps to try and optimize your health through this period, you know, and it, even if you are very weak, there are, there are ways to get started, you know, and it doesn't have to be running. It could be many other routines, um, breath routines, even, you know, it's a very gentle way to get started. There's a lot of health to be gained in that area. So I'm, that, that is one place, but also maybe looking outside of running personally for me, um, I look to the future, um, you know, and I obviously I'm lucky in a way to have children. I think when you have children, you cannot think too much of yourself because really the future you're trying to create is theirs. It's not yours. You know, I, I think any parent feels that way. You know, the, our future is very much secondary. So that keeps me going. But if you don't have that, you might have to look for something else, you know, that another prospect. Um, if that doesn't work, I go back to the first thing I said, just focus on improving yourself in, in the here and now in any way you can, you know, in any way that motivates you. Mm. And finally, uh, Rene, thanks so much for, for this conversation. It's been really interesting and I think uh, people get a lot out of it. What do you say to people when they're at their lowest ebb? It depends a bit on their problem. Uh, you know, it, a, t a typical problem for, for runners is that they don't get the, the output from the work that they put in. Uh, and I think in those cases, it's it's a bit like in any situation where a person feels unfairly treated by life. You know, they feel they didn't get what they should have gotten in return. It's about trying to see, well, look, the re end result wasn't good, but let's go back and look at the process and see the things you did right. You know, because there's usually a lot to admire in the effort that went into, say, the training. Um, even if sometimes the race result doesn't come in. So we will try and, I will try and highlight to people, these are all the good things that happen. And I will also take responsibility and, and ask them to take responsibility to say, well, here are the things I did wrong and you did wrong. Uh, but let's use that as an opportunity because that it's the only way to learn some of the lessons that we need to learn to get the approach that brings a particular athlete, you know, to the goal they want is to actually see the mistakes they tend to make. So that is certainly one way to pick up people. Um, if you're talking more in terms of depression, then obviously I'm not the biggest expert, but I do have athletes who who tell me that they have worked through uh, depression. And to be honest with them, I just try to be there. Uh, I think as a coach, your role is is much like a friend in it. You have to listen to what they have to say and try and read between the lines of what they are expressing with their frustration and try and figure out how how can you help like what can i do to make their situation a bit better because it's not my job necessarily to go in and and you know take over every aspect of a person's life because after all i'm just a i could say a humble running coach but i try to see if a person is a bit down during a period how can i make the training more interesting and more exciting uh, is there a way we can ensure that the they get some wins in the training over the coming period uh, you know so it, it's certainly not my job to try and make their life more boring and more difficult you know so you really do need a good understanding of each athlete's life situation you know their work routines um, and all these things so that what you put in place aids their life it makes their life easier rather than me being another in a way, another boss that they have to uh, keep happy, which is not the case at all. Rene, that's fantastic. Thanks so much. And where can people uh, find out more about your work? 
So our main website is uh, runningcoach.ie. And if they can also find us on Facebook, if they just search for Running Coach Ireland. Great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Andrea, can you please tell me what is getting in the sea? Because it's not me, because the sea is too cold and I am a wimp. You're not sea swimming? Who are well, you? <laughs> I, I did one in December, um, but it was so cold that it's kind of traumatized me a little bit. So I haven't been in the sea in 2021. Well, do you know, I can get in the sea. It's fucking meaningful Christmas. Jesus Christ. It's like... It's so hard not to be so angry about the month we all partied, we didn't, um, but that has led to this fucking absolute shit show that we're now encountering, um, all for the sake of something that everyone would have, I, like, I really do think everyone would have been grand with having a different Christmas if it, and staying at a at a chill level um to now and having like just where you live having christmas or whatever i think we all would have gotten over it but to have the populist um decision making that came through to give us this meaningful christmas and to to do things that we knew were going to lead to this like filling restaurants inside where people were talking and speaking and drinking and laughing and we can still laugh, but you know what I mean? All for what? Is it for this? Um, so meaningful Christmases can get into absolutely. Fair. And now it's bananas. We need a bananas theme tune. We're going to come up with one. Banana Man. Do you remember Banana Man? We're looking. Yeah, let's look. So welcome to the debut of our It's Bananas theme tune. Okay, yeah. what's bananas? I feel like it should, we should rename this segment from It's Bananas to just Co-Living is Bananas because every week nearly it's another co-living story. Um, but it's a bumper co-living episode, or It's Bananas today. Firstly, uh, on board Panala granted planning permission to 378 bed co-living scheme in the Liberties. Now this Cork is, Street, yeah. This is after, um, this goes against the Dublin Development Plan, firstly, from Dublin City Council's very own Dublin uh, plan. It also goes against the ban on co-living uh, that was introduced um, by the minister. It also goes against um, protests that were undertaken by TDs, by councillors, by residents in the Liberties. Um, so you really do have to wonder. It goes against height restrictions as well. Yeah, that's in the, um, sorry, that's in the Dublin Development Plan. So it goes against the, like nearly everyone. So you have to be, you're, you're kind of going, who is, who wants this and who is a for? And obviously it's written in the stars, but it, um, on board Planola have said, have said that the reason is because it it's contributing to getting houses built but like for who everyone knows co-living is absolute 
bollocks. Um, there's been a ban. How they can sleep at night putting that through, I don't know why they can't just redevelop it into apartments or whatever, given where we are. But I, I think this this particular development, which is... before. But like, there's oh. basement units. They've taken them out. They've taken them out, have they? They have to take that out. It's planning. All right. Okay. Um, I just think that like, it's so, what's so frustrating about this over and over again is that nobody is fucking asking for this stuff. It is just the most blatant display of development for profit of how to squeeze out the most profit of every square meter of a space. People are crying out for proper housing in the Liberties, including people who grew up there and can't afford to live there. And these co-living spaces that are sneaking in, uh, you know, the you know just before the deadline of the ban, which is the ministerial order, are going to just be tenements, basically. Like, no, this is substandard housing. People do not want to live in these places. Only developers want these places so that they can make loads of money out of a particular site. You circumvent loads of regulations around space. It is not a a decent place to live in. Sharing your kitchen with dozens of other people. And there's like, it, it is absolutely ridiculous. And I just don't, I don't know how you can, because there is a ban, I don't know how these developments can be stopped. But like, it is appalling. It is actually appalling. And and there's, you know, you can give out about it so much and it's kind of depressing or whatever um, to just be angry about something because obviously we want to offer people positivity. But I just think that when you look at Cork Street itself, which is a mess of development, which could have been, you know, a really, really great, you know, archery in the city of a community that had proper street life, that had proper facilities. Now, fair play, Rebecca Moynihan and, and Claire Byrne, they got Weaver Park down there and the, the skate park down there is fantastic, which took ages and their persistence. But when you think about just these kind of scatter of, of you know, disjointed apartment blocks thrown around there, the co-op and the market's gone from Newmarket Square and the place is a mess and then you're putting up these insta tenements and saying you know go on go on and live in there kids or drone workers or whatever it's appalling it's absolutely appalling and i don't know i don't know what you can what you can say about it apart from to to point out how how desperate it is anyway sorry for being negative well the negativity is keep is coming strong because of that wasn't bad enough. Um, Fibsborough Shopping Centre, um, sneaky, sneaky MM Capital submitted plans for 321 co-living development uh, living in the weeks between the housing minister announcing the ban on co-living and it being signed into law. Um, so that is um, in for planning at the moment. Um, fingers crossed that that doesn't go through. But as a kind of, um, as maybe a, a positive, uh, the NTMA has received 50, 40 billion of orders for negative rate bonds. I love that I say that, I don't have any clue about what that is. Um, but what that actually means is that investors are actually paying the borrower to take their money. So 
Keen O'Callaghan has pointed out that now the state could borrow and build state-owned affordable housing um, for little cost um, with these uh, negative rate bonds. Um, Keen O'Callaghan from the Stock Downs was saying this is the perfect opportunity for the government to to build affordable housing. It's never been more affordable to do it, to offer uh, state affordable housing. Um, and then as a final sideline, planning is now in for the Player Wills factory and lands um, from Hines. So you can go on and have a look at that. Um, and there is going to be a Facebook Live um, uh, from the Labour Party are actually doing um, around that. So do tune in for that because that's a big development. And now for our fave bits. Andrea, what are your fave bits? My fave bits, I was literally racking my brains for some because I was like, I actually have none. But then it turned out when you really look into it and look for the positivity, you find it. Um, Bridgerton, I just really enjoyed a romp through it. It was the perfect escapism. It's so colourful, fun, diverse. Um, it's done really successfully. It's brilliant to see. And I think Nicola Coghlan was uh, sharing like, they said period dramas couldn't be diverse. Well, we just showed you and how popular it was. Um, I think it was 65 million uh, households watched it, which is phenomenal. It's just a great bit of fun. And that's all I want at the moment, which is why um, this time has resulted in me watching absolutely shit rom-coms. Like usually I do like a life film, but I'm watching the worst rom-coms ever. And it's providing me with so much joy of how shit they are. So much so that it's actually led me to make up my own rom-com that's going to happen in lockdown, that I'm going to just start this conversation and it's going to start with milk. And then the man of my dreams is just going to turn up at my door on the last day of lockdown with flowers. And then that's, we run in, off into the sunset with our hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you love it? I love it, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, some other fave bits next Tuesday um, on Facebook. I'm going to have to figure out how to get into my own Facebook. Um, I'm chairing a discussion with Re- Rebecca Moynihan, organised uh, from Labour, um, and Claire Hunt from the Homeless Period Ireland, and also uh, Monica Lennon, who was the minister who brought in, Minister for Health in Scotland, who brought in uh, period justice into the uh, period product bill in Scotland. So that is on Tuesday at seven, if you'd like to tune in, uh, why period justice is so important and why we really need to uh, make sure that it is uh, brought in. It's in the program for government, but it seems to have obviously gone uh, askew. Um, Also, uh, the HSC are trialing free STI tests. sh24.ie that's one of my five bits the bbc has turned into an education hub which is just such a brilliant example of what can be done with public broadcasting when we don't when we need to fucking close the schools that it doesn't have to be the end and that we have if we have broadband for everyone and and even if we don't have broadband that the tv can provide these lessons so they have different channels providing like primary school teaching then they have secondary school teaching and for three hours every morning so it just um i think it's a brilliant example of utilizing uh, a public service and then finally my favorite is tolu mckay uh, and doing her cover of the soul doctor song was absolutely gorgeous and 
I just really loved it. Yeah, really beautiful. I actually ended up listening to uh, the original N17 loads yesterday, (laughs) which I never do because I'm not from Galway, although my mum is. Thank you for those fave bits. Would you like to hear my fave bits? I would be delighted to hear your fave bits. So my first fave bit is the film Les Miserables. Now, not that one. This is the 2019 film, uh, French film. It's on Netflix. It's a film about... Is it not the one with Hugh Jackman? No. Bomb, uh, bomb. I love it. <laughs> this, is, this is a film about um, what happens kind of uh, in the in a eastern suburb of France uh, of Paris um, actually where well, it's called Les Miserables because that was it's the same area that Les Miserables was originally set in um, and it's kind of if you're into La Haine or like Training Day or The Wire um, it's a really interesting um, film about crime and policing uh, and I just really enjoyed it. It's part of my a new thing that I'm doing for January. I'm trying to put some kind of structure or routine around my life. So I'm doing like a film a day in the evenings. So um, this is on Irish Netflix. So check it out. If you want some of my rom-com recommendations, no problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, I might pass on that. But I did watch it. Well, I, I of course love rom-coms, but I mean, when you're mentioning Bridgerton and things like that, I just cannot watch something oh like that. Oh my God, you, can't, you cannot say no to Bridgerton. I no. You absolutely not that. I know it's Shonda Rhimes I love Shonda Rhimes I just it takes an awful lot for me to watch a period drama anyway oh my god I, I'm not going to rest till you've watched it every week I'm, I'm going to ask have you watched it like, I'm not I'm just really not going to watch it though stop digging your heels in and just let Lisa enjoy yourself what's your next five bit my next five bit is um, I started reading um, Annie McManus's aka Annie Mac uh, her new novel, Mother Mother, which comes out in May, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, so I'll report back on that when she'll finished. My other fave bit is the fact that Drake's new album is called Certified Lover Boy. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. It's like the most Drake thing ever. Um, that's out this month. And um, actually, a uh, uh, funny uh, Drake synchronicity here because my next fave bit is about owls. Um, What's that to do with Drake? Oh, the logo of his um, brand OVO, October's very own, is an owl. God, I can't okay. believe you know that. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did you not know that? Like, <laughs> Obviously, the synchronicity with Drake, Andrea. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Ireland's barn owl population is on the rise. And it's been in decline for decades. But Birdwatch Ireland, the heroes that they are, have been um, doing the hard work of installing net boxes for barn owls. And these little love nests, twit twoo, are uh, yielding amazing uh, results. And barn owls are coming back. And barn owls are amazing. First of all, I just love owls general generally, but this did you thing. know this owl thing? Did you know, Andrea, that a pair of barn owls can eat up to two thousand rats and mice in the breeding season. So farmers love them because they get rid of all the rats. Oh rats out, rats out. The barn owl. <laughs> um so there you go. Go on the owls. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. I'm looking forward to his new music this year. And Sarah Fox did all of our design. Speaking of 
Music. What is this week's tune of chicken roll? Music is the answer. That's not it. But this week's tune of chicken roll, oh my God, it's, it's a head rush of joy. It's Dua Lipa physical, but it's the Claptown remix. Jesus Christ, if you don't dance to this, you'll never dance. It's- I really enjoyed Dua Lipa on Song Exploder on Netflix. If you want to look at that. Okay. I've been in a <laughs> This has been Bridgerton. <laughs> Stop it. Stop mocking the joy. It's 65 million people in it. That 65 was- million people can't be wrong if, 20, if the 2016 election thought us anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Do you know who's an endurance today? This episode, apart from you, this episode, that was endurance. So come on.